kid. Dimitri, are you ready? Ready to roll, man. Let's play ball. So you are currently a pitching coach in the Blue Jays organization. Your journey is not typical and included some time with the godfather of the mental game, Dr. Ken Revisa, author of Heads Up Baseball. Can you tell us a bit about your journey and your encounters with Dr. Revisa? Yeah, man. It's been a different road. I definitely went an unconventional route as far as certain things were concerned. I've always had a passion for coaching and development, I would say, and then just dreaming on player progress. And I went to the University of South Carolina. And at that time, I probably thought it was maybe more of a front office role for me or like a general manager part. And so graduated there as I was a student manager at South Carolina and did an internship with a pro team. And then Realized really quickly the things that I saw that we did at South Carolina, specifically Coach Tillman, who's currently at Mid-Tennessee State. He was an assistant at the time. He's now the head coach at Mid-Tennessee State. But he got to go out and recruit, and he got to put the team together, and then he got to bring the team in, and then we got to develop those guys, and we got to put the pieces together, and then we got to see him have a relationship with them on a day-in and day-out basis. And then when the games came, we had to plug in the strategy. And so I decided that was something that I wanted to do. And that more immediately, the thing that I had this idea of what I thought I want, but the actuality of what I wanted was more of that college game. So ended up spending, going to Cal State Fullerton for my grad degree. My roommate at South Carolina was a guy by the name of Corey Vanderhoek, who's now an assistant coach at UNLV. And his uncle was the assistant coach at Cal State Fullerton, is now the head coach at Cal State Fullerton. So Corey got me an opportunity there to be a grad assistant and walked in and I knew about Cal State Fullerton in 2004 when I was at South Carolina. We got knocked out of the College World Series by Cal State Fullerton. We were ranked the number two team in the country and our eyes, it was us in Texas. And so we thought at Carolina, we thought only the Longhorns kind of stood in our way from winning a national championship because the Longhorns had defeated us in the national championship game in, in 2002. And so we were, we were excited about that. But then this gritty, grimy team from Fullerton came in and kind of kicked their butts, shut us out the opening game to nothing. And we had an amazing offense. So to get shut out, that was unheard of. And then we beat them to get to an elimination game and, and then they beat us again. So I kind of know of Cal State Fullerton. I understand who they are from, I've seen them play and then show up and Coach Horton and Coach Vanderhoek and Coach Gill are there. And they're really good fundamental coaches. They're unbelievable X's and O coaches. I'm talking about we've got eight different ways to take a lead from first versus lefty versus righty, fake steal, hit and run, lefty, righty, combination on those things. And the attention to detail was great. But then all of a sudden you've got this Dr. Ken Revisa, sports psychologist, peak performance coach who comes in and he just, oh man, the guy's just unbelievable. And he just lights up the room when he comes in. He's like, hey, up boys what's going on boys what do we got and so he just made his presence known and getting a chance to pick Kenny's brain and just listening to him and seeing the way he interacted with guys but then picking his brain and seeing what his advanced philosophy was an amazing opportunity he really challenged me while I was at Fullerton he really challenged me why do I coach what do I want to get out of it is it selfish reasons or is it for the good of other people because he said, if it was selfish reasons, if you're in this this game for I reasons and me reasons, then you're probably not going to be in it for long because there's too much failure. There's too much adversity within it. And the people that are in it for themselves, it beats you up. If you're in it to help other people, if you're in it to help the players and the people around you and help their personal progress, but also an extremely important thing that really drew me to college baseball was to be a part of something bigger than yourself and have all these guys be a part of a team that they'll remember the rest of their lives, then if that's your passion and, and that's the reason you're going, then 
a lot of the adversity and the failure you'll be able to handle. So Kenny was, oh man, he was a huge, huge motivator in my life. Really one of the biggest impacts any human being has had on me has been Kenny and I'm definitely better off, better for it. So this has been a very hard year for everyone in baseball. For those of us like myself looking to play college and beyond in the next couple of years, what advice would you give us to get noticed and thrive? I would say number one is just keep working on yourself first and foremost, like keep becoming the player that you know you, you're capable of being. So that number one thing should should be get better at baseball, get better at throwing strikes, get better at fastball velocity, get better at fastball location, get better at the ability to throw a secondary pitch for a strike, get better at playing the game. And so that's number one. A lot of times when that's where it needs to be, the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. Now, that being said, if you're doing those things and and you're working on being the best player that you can become, then it's an opportunity to get some exposure. You've definitely got to get creative in 2020. Twitter is a real platform, making a video and creating something with all your measurables. I think that's a big thing college coaches look for is, is measurables. So put video of the way that you move and you throwing from different angles and stuff. But the other thing too is like, as many objective measurables as possible, like fastball velocity, fastball spin rate, induced vertical break, things that you can get from TrackMan and Rapsodo data, as well as velocity. And then just do that for your fastball and your breaking balls and, and your changeup and put that stuff together. Outside of Twitter, the other way I would say is reaching out, reach out to the programs, email them, email the programs that you're interested in and see what happens. I would say each coaching staff is really different. For the most part, you're going to have the assistants really handling recruiting. So because each dynamic is super different, I would say email everybody on the staff individually. So instead of just emailing just the head coach or just the recruiting coordinator, because things are different, write an individualized email to each of them, head coach and each of the assistants, and especially the position that you play and the recruiting coordinator, the guys that you feel like do the recruiting. But I would email those out. And then again, those objective measurables are huge. And even in competition, like your strikeout to walk ratio, your whip, things like that, in addition to the mile per hour stuff and the, the trackman and the Rapsodo data that you can get. That would definitely be, that'd be it. Working for an MLB organization, I would assume you had a lot of access to all kinds of tools for pitching development. What are your top three favorites and why do you use them? Oh man, as far as different tools and stuff go, I think one of the big sayings that we've been talking about recently is why would you guess on something that you could measure? So I really do enjoy the, the Rapsodo and the TrackMan from the standpoint of it gives a, an objective measurement so I can assess exactly where an individual is. So we can see what type of spin rate he has on his fastball and where is he exactly and then how much further does he need to go in order to become elite. So I would say the TrackMan and the Rapsodo are really helpful for two reasons. One is giving you a good understanding of where you're at, and then two, giving you a good understanding of the type of progress you're making towards your goal. I would say big fan of weighted balls if they're used properly and on ramps correctly. I think weighted balls do a really good job of utilizing the program correctly and on ramping well and building load properly and then blending that into season. I think it's got a great opportunity for you to build up some of those supporting muscles around your UCL, your flexor pronator mass, which is on your forearm and your bicep. And some, those are some of the muscles that stabilize the UCL. So that'll keep you healthy. 
I think throwing those will shorten your recovery time, help you shorten up your arm action or just make it more efficient. It doesn't necessarily have to be shorter, but just gets you a more efficient arm action. Then the last one would be the more, you know, if your recovery time shorter and you're throwing more often and they do help you build velocity. So I, I really like the weighted balls. And I think the last one I would say is the core velocity belt. Just having guys working on guys feel what the middle of their body's like, how to use their pelvis, how to move through the middle of their body. It's called the big muscles are the proximal muscles and the smaller muscles are the distal muscles. So your proximal muscles, are your proximal pieces of your body are your pelvis and your spine and your distal pieces of your body are your hands and your feet. And so if we can move proximally to distally, big to little, then we're in a really good spot. So that core velocity belt helps us learn how to move those big muscles, that pelvis and feel that spine and how to move those efficiently. So I'd say those three things. Yeah, I agree. I really like the core velocity belt, especially on working, uh, trying to move my hips a little bit faster than my torso. Yeah. I, it helps a lot. That's awesome. That's really cool. So when you get to look back at this year, how would you say the COVID situation made you a better coach? I have become a much better online coach. I have become a much better remote trainer. There is no doubt about that. I am uh, really good with Zoom. I've critiqued my PowerPoint skills. So I'm much better at creating a meaningful PowerPoint that is able to convey a message and information. So I've gotten better with that. I'm better at analyzing video over long distances and then seeing how a guy is progressing within his video and sticking to that plan. So I would say number one is I'm a much better remote coach. Then number two, something just personally is just getting some time for myself and whether it's reading some stuff or writing thoughts down or just organizing some things within myself. I've, I've had a pretty crazy road over the last 10 plus years. I've been a lot of places and what this year's really allowed me to do is, is to re- reflect and look around and be like, look, I've been to South Carolina and a Fullerton and Oregon had some success at a Chemeketa Community College, a Santa Barbara City College, a Point Loma. I've had success at these places. And they're all very different environments. And now I can sit down being in professional baseball and be like, okay, what did I learn? What do I like? When and who am I at this point? And so it's really been a great opportunity for me to reflect and create some consistency within myself and my philosophy. So imagine you're back coaching a high school team and you have a pitcher on the mound who's struggling. What do you say to him when you go visit him on the mound? (laughs) Ah, man, that's just standing. I think if it's my first time visiting the guy, I probably ask him what his favorite ice cream is. (laughs) Just to loosen him up. I think a lot of times with those guys that are struggling, it's pressure. They're putting a lot of pressure on themselves. So it's trying to ease the situation up a little bit, trying to take a step back, get a breath, just refocus. And then, so that would be the first thing is trying to, you know, tell some sort of a joke and try to ease the tension. And I think the, the, the second thing is just reminding him that he's not alone out there. A big saying that we had at Cal State Fullerton was nine on one, like nine on one. You're forcing contacts. You're the aggressor of contact. What that kind of means too, go a little deeper into it is you've got nine, it's you and eight buddies out there on the field. It's you and eight other defenders. You've got nine defenders total and you're going up against one hitter, one guy in the box. So if you were in a street fight and you were going one-on-one and you were facing a guy with the bat, and you had eight buddies behind you, would you try to fight that guy one-on-one? Or would you have your eight buddies behind you help you and go nine-on-one? I think your odds are a lot better if you trust the guys behind you and, and everybody jumps in. So just a reminder of nine-on-one where you don't have to do it all yourself. Pitch the contact, hit your spots. You don't have to be perfect. 
take big bites out of the strike zone, don't nibble on the corners and take it from there. So yeah, so the first thing would be ease the tension and, and tell the joke. The second one would be just that reminder of nine on one and, and be aggressive and, and force contact. So different organizations have different pitching philosophies and of course they evolve. However, if you have a pitcher who has a lot of movement on his fastball and changeup, but throws a gyro slider like at six or seven percent efficiency with not a lot of movement, would you look to add a pitch that has tons of movement or keep that one pitch? I think the first thing you got to assess is how do hitters react to the pitch. If you've got a gyro slider that's got that seven percent, and for some reason it tunnels really well, and the minimal movement that it does have was late and, and get swings and misses, then, you know, we're going to stay within it. But if it's a pitch that's just getting absolutely slacked, like it's a pitch that doesn't profile well, it's not firm, it's not where it needs to be, and it's getting barreled up, we'll check the splits. Maybe does it play well versus a lefty versus a righty? Does it play poorly on one side or another? If it does, if it only plays poorly against one side, then we'll platoon that pitch. Then we'll go from there. But if it's just a pitch that gets smacked, then, yeah, we're probably going to go to a third pitch that's that's going to help them out, whether it's a curveball or a cutter or whatever it might be. But if it's a pitch that's just not getting the job done, you've got that fastball changeup combination. And maybe you need a slower curveball to change speeds on a guy. Maybe you want a slider that's that's got more you know horizontal movement in the opposite direction of that changeup. Then we'll start designing that. First things first is what are hitters doing to it? If, if it's being successful, leave it alone. If it's only working to one side of the platoon, then use it on that. And if it's not working at all, then yeah, let's go back to the drawing board and let's figure something else out that, that we can make better and to help you get through a lineup more efficiently without giving up any runs. So on this podcast, I'd like to end with more of a uh, general question. So what is the best piece of advice Dr. Riza gave you? Oh man, you haven't failed enough to be successful. I mean, it was one of those things where I'm sitting in class and hanging out and we're finally that day. We had eight, 20 people in that, in, in his class. I took two classes with him as well as being able to shadow on the baseball field. But I took two classes and it was a pretty consistent group. And within that group, finally, one day we got to me in class and it was my turn to share. And so I was excited like a kid on Christmas day. I'm like, Oh, it's my turn. Cause I definitely enjoy sharing. Um, I don't know if you could guess that about me, but so he comes up to me and he's like, do you, you know, what's your goals? And I'm like, oh, I want to be a college baseball coach. He goes, Oh, great. He goes like coach Horton. And coach Horton was our head coach at Cal state Fullerton at the time, who's won a national championship has won several state championships as junior college head coach. And and I was like, yeah, man, that would be great. That's why I'm here. I'm here to learn from Coach Horton. I mean, he's the best, and that's why I'm here. And he goes, oh. He goes, you, you don't want to just be like Coach Horton. You, you want to be better than Coach Horton. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if that's an option, sure. But I don't – yeah, cool. And he goes, you don't want to just win one national championship. You want to win like two or three. And I'm like, yeah, Ken. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. You're speaking my language now. He goes, you want to be one of the greatest of all time, don't you, D? And I'm like – I mean, sure. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, you haven't failed enough. What? Because you haven't failed enough. You haven't failed enough yet to be successful. And when he told it to me at the time, I had no idea what he was talking about. You know, I had no, I had no clue. And Pearl's the swine at that time, where he's just handing out pearls of wisdom to the swine that didn't understand it. But we went into it where it's just, you fail your way to the top in this industry. You knew failure way that's the, the top in baseball. Coach Horton, I was around him 
and he was the successful national championship coach, but I didn't see all the things he had to do at a junior college. I didn't see all the things that he had to do as an assistant at Cal State Fullerton before he got to become the head coach. And there's a lot of trials and tribulations. Anybody that's going to be successful, you don't become successful right away. Your rookie year, there's a reason. Like You've got to fail a lot in order to grow and get experience. Like Experience is just another word for you've, you've failed a ton. So what Kenny did, though, is he, with that kind of phrase of you haven't failed enough, he, he changed experience, uh, failure to a scary thing, to a, a thing that I was able to embrace later on as I started coaching and realizing like, oh, this failure thing, that's me getting smarter, that's me getting better. And the best piece of advice Kenny's definitely given me was you haven't failed enough to be successful. And it, head scratcher at the time, but definitely as I've, I've gone along in my career, it, it makes complete and total sense now to me. So where can people find out more about you? Oh man, I've got a Twitter account. It's at Coach Kokoris, C Coach C O A C H, and then Kokoris is K O K O R I S. Hit me with the follow. Hit me with a direct message. My direct messages are open. I like hearing from people. And then right now, I'm actually helping out a buddy with a blog. He's got a website called Simple Saber Metrics. His name's Jake Stone. And on his blog, there's a couple of things that I've written. And then he's also got an interview with me on on YouTube on there. So those would be two good places. Dimitri, thank you so much for playing ball. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. I thoroughly enjoyed it. What, and this was, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Hey, it's Sammy here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would like to ask for your help. Tell me what questions you would like answered. If you could also take a moment to review the show, the algorithms are taking into account how many ratings and reviews I get. The more reviews, the more people they restore the podcast with. And don't forget to play ball, kid.